look at that. Shall we unpack? What's Kirk doing tonight again? He's at a Sixers game. I think it's a Flyers game. Whatever. It's all straight, so. (laughs) I'm sport. I was like, the only straight male on this podcast uh, is Andrew, and he doesn't even have a concept of what sports are. (laughs) I was going to say, do you even watch sports, Andrew? I don't really. I mean, I I watch like the Super Bowl because there will be a party and there's food and I'll eat the food and drink the beer. So you're just you just like food and alcohol like a normal person. A hundred percent. Okay, that's not liking sports, Andrew. That's like saying that's what I'm saying. That's the only time I ever participate in sports is like the big events. That is like saying, oh, I kind of like church, but. My favorite part is the free wine. Like, no, you don't. You're an alcoholic. (laughs) My God. I I thought you were going to say like the Christmas and Easter is all I go to. I was like, you know, my family used to judge them. Everybody I know used to judge them because I I was like a kid who did go to church pretty regularly. And I just feel like (laughs) when you would see the people who were just Christmas and Easter Catholics or Christer Catholics, they were called. It was like daggers from the eyes of my mother into those people like my mom wouldn't socialize with them at mass because she knew she knew do you want to hear something hilarious so years ago i think it's been like 10 years now my church was just a black church moved into it like we purchased a new church building and it's like the first easter at the church this white family shows up and you could tell that like they'd gone there before because they knew immediately to like go to the room where you drop off your kids for like children's church. So they immediately go there and like, I don't think they fully paid attention because like I'm behind me and my mom are behind them and they walk into the like, what the, what is it? The sanctuary? The vestibule. They noticed a whole bunch of black people and they started to turn around. And then it's me and my mom. And we're like, uh. And then they clearly felt bad. And so they sat through the service. Oh my God. And I think it was like a Catholic church before. So like they really came in not knowing what was happening. No. It was that- like reverse get out. <gasps> not get in not get in <laughs> okay kirk's not here to say it so i'm gonna say carry on uh welcome back to let's unpack that everybody this is season three episode six and today we are unpacking joe biden's presidency one year in which is just insane to think about how quickly this year went i believe we did an episode that was like reviewing his first 100 days. And that feels like five years ago and also one month ago. I feel like it's just very interesting to me to to think that this could be like already one year in and people are already talking about 2024. But anyway, um, welcome back to Let's Unpack That, your weekly podcast where um, these queer and questionable millennials unpack topics at the top of our minds through the lens of anxiety, depression, and a stunning lack of expertise. Um, I'm Paul Warren, as most of you know, and joining me tonight are just two folks. Uh, Kirk, as we just mentioned, is um, 
off doing something with somebody and it's not us. So we'll get to her later. Um, She once described herself and her own voice as that of a Muppet, but I like to be more specific and just call her Miss Piggy. She's fresh off a trip here to Columbus, Ohio. She's Erica Ellis. Hi. First of all, I was a hit in Columbus. Um, for a fee, I will re- I will visit again. It was a very spontaneous trip. I was glad that you made it out here. I know. I was glad that I wanted to get um, upgraded through my airline status. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I could, you know, just basically be a convenient stop on your journey towards elite. You're um, the best. But speaking of pigs, he's the love child of David Cameron and the oinker he kept at his time at Oxford University. He's our sound editor and correspondent for The Straits. Andrew, I can't say that. That was, I think, the meanest you've ever done. (laughs) Why was it so British? I I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) What's, What's weird is, like, I wrote yours first, and I was like, he's the love child of Tucker Carlson and Alex Jones. He's the love child of Candace Owens and Meghan McCain. But then I was like, I don't know. I just want to take this in a different direction. So I went David Cameron and the pig he fucked. (laughs) (laughs) It it makes me think of that first episode of Black Mirror. Yes. British Prime Minister. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. So bad. Um, But then I tried to theme them together. So, um, (laughs) Erica, I don't call you Miss Piggy. I just want to throw that out there. (laughs) You did not call me Miss Piggy. (laughs) Um, but thank you all so much for joining us tonight. Uh, we are looking forward to unpacking uh, Joe Biden's first year in office. We're going to talk about his wins, some of his challenges. Um, we're going to talk about kind of the state of things as they are right now. And baby, get into it. Buckle up because we are like months away from Democratic primaries. Um, so uh, there's a lot to talk about tonight. So we're going to take a quick break and then we will be right back. And we are back. Let's get into it. So we are one year into the presidency of Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., I think. I'm not even really sure if he's a junior. I don't think it matters. Um, We are still in the middle of a global pandemic. We are facing the highest inflation in 40 years. Uh, naturally, because of both of those things, uh, Biden's approval rating is at 42% with a disapproval rating of 52%. Uh, He is fully underwater. Um, We are just a few months before the midterm primaries and about 10-ish months until the midterms themselves. As of right now, with the way that redistricting is, Republicans are looking like they will gain one seat. Democrats are looking like they're going to gain about seven seats. But in general, that means there's about six less competitive seats overall in the House. Um, So Republicans are inching closer to a majority of the House, which obviously, if that happens, they would pretty much do uh, in whatever power they had to filibuster and stop any further legislation from the Biden administration. So um, situation is 
fairly dire. Um, so tonight we're going to take a look back at Biden's first year in office. We're going to talk about a bit of his popularity. Um, but I just wanted to reflect with even just a couple things that I was reading um, today as I was prepping for this podcast. Um, Lauren Gambino in The Guardian said, Joe Biden ends his first year in office at a particularly bleak moment for a U.S. president who promised competency and normalcy. Democrats have a 78% approval of him. Independents approve of him 42%. And Republicans just 5% approval. Though that's not really surprising. Um, Jen Psaki said recently that people are fatigued across the country. It's impacting how they live, how they work. There are worries about their kids, their ability to, to experience joyful things in life, like concerts and going to restaurants and seeing friends. And she said that the administration understands that. Another uh, article or columnist, I should say, in in The Guardian, uh, Richard Luscombe, said the obstacles ahead of Biden are certainly substantial. They range from Democrats' internal divisions. We have talked about that a lot on this podcast. Um, The internal divisions between progressives and moderates, stonewalling by Republicans in Congress, and the Donald Trump-created conservative supermajority on the Supreme Court that has already delivered several blows, and appears poised this summer to overturn five decades of abortion rights. Not great. I think that those kind of quotes and reflection on the numbers of the House are kind of showing a a bit of the direness of this situation uh, that we're in. Um, It's not surprising that a president would have, you know, high disapproval rating. I think it is a little bit surprising that it is this high. Um, But I'm not sure, um, Andrew, kind of, General reaction to uh, Biden's first year in office, approval rating, all that stuff, uh, anything that you would say on that? I'm not terribly surprised that his uh, approval rating has sunk so far. Um, I, I know this is something that the right tries to use as more evidence of election fraud. How did so many people vote for him, but now he's, you know, ha- has a, a bad approval rating? I think it makes perfect sense because people who didn't want to vote for Trump or wanted a change or wanted COVID relief voted for Biden, who maybe wouldn't have voted for Biden had all these events not taken place concurrently. Um, And it's not entirely his fault, but a lot of stuff that he ran on is just not happening or it's been gutted and turned into something else or he's been stymied. And and I think as politics become more and more polarizing and people get angrier and angrier about all this stuff, there really there can't be any in between. There's no room for nuance. It's either you love them or you hate them. And it's going to be that way no matter what president we're talking about or senator or anything. I mean, even people like Ted Cruz, one day he's, he says – the insurrection was an insurrection in a day of terror. Everybody loses their shit about it and he has to go fully in the other direction. There's no moment for him to say, Hey, wait a minute. Like let's have like a adult conversation about this. And that's what's happening with all of this is if Biden slips up a little bit or something just doesn't quite go to plan, because of course nothing ever goes a hundred percent according to plan, then it's all his fault and everybody hates him and he's destroying the country. I think it's interesting what you said there um, about the importance of nuance. And I think like the distinction between nuance and being 
in the middle and being moderate is like very important, right? It's like, to me, you have people who are moderates or centrists. They're sitting in the middle. That's the Joe Manchin. That's the Kirsten Cinema. These are the people that we've been sort of railing about, you know, for the, the last little while, because largely it would appear that those two are most responsible for the um, legislative agenda not advancing as quickly as uh, a lot of us would want to, but also as quickly as the Biden administration promised, um, as well as the majority leaders, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, versus I think like the nuance just to be able to say in the moment for Ted Cruz to say, yeah, I think that those people were like terrorists. They brought terror upon the Capitol. They wanted to overturn the election. I don't believe that, you know, Joe Biden is necessarily a legitimate president. Uh, I don't believe he's the most competent president, but I certainly don't support the fact that, you know, people storm the Capitol. Like there's no ability to, you know, add nuance to any concept. Like you're just expected to sort of walk it back in a way. It's frustrating. Um, Erica, what about you? Any kind of initial thoughts on kind of Biden, the approval rating, where we're sitting right now, 365 days in? Um, I think that, you know, with Biden over the past year, there's been a lot of big wins um, and also some significant losses, too. And I think some wins that we thought were going to be bigger and they were not. Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind and it's the COVID um, stimulus package or the COVID relief package, uh, it was I think it was what, one point nine trillion dollars. And I think a lot of us know Democrats were pushing for more. Um, And it was a long fought battle to get us to that point. Um, And I think that was a big win. Uh, It is hard to get everything you want, especially in this political landscape. Um, And then especially if, you know, even though we do have, even though Democrats hold the majority, like you mentioned, Paul, we do have those kind of, um, center, center left Democrats that can tend to go either way. Um, but there is some failures to that too, right? So we all know that um, there was, we were kind of promised uh, $2,000 for a third stimulus check. Um, and it ended up being that we were caught up to $2,000 between the second and the third stimulus checks. And I think that, um, you know, for a lot of people, that six that extra six hundred dollars would have made a difference. And again, there's a lot of politicians who kind of use that as their as their wagon on the campaign trail. Um, and then on top of that, I think it took about it was over six months before the last half trillion plus some change was finally distributed to Americans. So um, even looking at now, though, I mean, I think all of us have ordered them. We get our four free at-home test kits. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I would venture to say that in a Trump administration, um, that might have not have been a priority. And I can see why the right, because I've, I've seen a lot of people on the right in my life who have been, um, you know, they're kind of like, this is so stupid. What's the point? All testing is going to do is say that you have COVID. It's not going to stop it. To which I say, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if you know you have COVID, you know that you shouldn't go out so you don't spread it. So, um, you know, definitely a lot of wins on that part. And it's, 
I think we all wish that Biden could do more and we wish that he had done more in this past year, Um, especially because I think, you know, for a lot of people, all eyes were were on Biden. He was the other choice. And um, I think in some ways my, you know, he did not meet my expectations, but I haven't heard any immigrant or person of color um, say that they're ter- terrified that this president is encouraging acts of hate and violence against them. So, you know, small wins. Small wins, small wins. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And I think that's where we should probably take the first sort of segment of this episode is is talking about that sort of COVID relief, right? Like, like, like I think that there was a high when the administration started Kamala Harris came in and broke the tie to like pass this thing because not one single Republican in the Senate voted for it. Um, And maybe a couple in the House. I don't even remember if they did. But like when we think about that, like a two trillion dollar package is is pretty massive. When we think about vaccinating 75 percent of Americans, 62 percent, you know, fully vaccinated. We now have a booster that's reducing illness even further. Like there's a lot of wins in the pandemic space that I feel like are really, really important that a lot of people are looking over. But I also can't blame those people because we are living amongst an insane surge in cases. 2,000 people are dying a day. 90% of them are unvaccinated. It's like, great, we got the distribution of the vaccines pretty cleanly. You know, of course, some hiccups in the beginning. People are, you know, going crazy trying to trying to get them. Things sort of settled down and now if you want a vaccine, you can get a vaccine. Um, and it's been like that for several, several months. And it's like, I I look at it like at these both sides or the, like these challenges of just like even the vaccine mandate, the testing mandate, like the Supreme Court blocked that. And that, that's exactly what they were mentioning in that Guardian article. It's like when you have a conservative Supreme Court uh, and your liberal justices uh, can't make the correct arguments here to convince anybody that's what's going to happen, you know? And I, I think it's like, I think COVID is is kind of the biggest thing that's like a, it's so obvious how the administration started with such energy and gusto and they were attacking it and everybody was getting vaccinated. We had a little bit of hot girl summer before Delta came along. And once Delta came along, that's when the approval rating like tanked. Afghanistan happened at the same time. At, like approval rating continued to tank. There was like, a border crisis in the middle there, you know, that Republicans went wild about, you know? So like there've been these little things in the first year as it relates to COVID that have taken some, some distractions, but like largely I'd have to say if you can vaccinate 75% of Americans, if kids can get vaccinated too, that's like what 80% of Americans, you've got 20% of people and the Supreme court isn't, allowing you to mandate vaccinations with businesses for more than 100 people like what do you do how can biden do anything else right like the republican governors are not doing that they're not enforcing mask mandates like it's just a free-for-all in some of these states and it's on the businesses like what else do you do to manage covid any better i don't know i think there's so much (laughs) Like I always I was actually watching um, like an old clip from like 2010 um, 
And I know old is really relative when Andrew is on the on the podcast, so I apologize. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. But um, it was kind of saying that the big thing about uh, these opinion polls is they are not they are truly asking the inform or the average American, um, and they are not focused like. You know, it's not considering this person isn't considering the fact that um, some of these things are carryovers from the previous administration. Um, And so I think that this approval rating uh, is a lot. I think it was much better than I expected in the sense that there was a lot of shit that the Biden administration got on their plate. Um, that was kind of just a leftover from the Trump administration. And it's a lot of these things that tend to push over, even from Obama to Trump. Most economists agree that you don't see very significant change in the economy um, until a couple years after, you know, whatever is put into place. Um, And so Trump got to benefit from another president's numbers, whereas I think Biden is kind of you know, victim to Trump's numbers and some of the things that Trump did. So um, that's to say that I'm very curious to see what these next three years will look like. I mean, I think there's always going to be somewhat of a Trump excuse, but I think it's truly going to be there is no Trump excuse. Um, And I think that he now has an uphill battle because he didn't move the way he should have um, previously. So It'll be, and when he had the ability to, when we had control of all three branches. So it's very interesting um, to, I think, like, it's one thing that I've always followed is um, opinion polls, because I'm a bitch within an opinion. And um, I love when people complain, which is why I also troll Yelp. Uh, So it's... (laughs) Don't roll your eyes at me. We had the um, conversation this weekend. I still don't support it as an existing slice. I just don't understand that. First of Go- all, Google reviews, Google reviews. No, yeah. I think Google reviews are so stupid. Yelp is an established platform that incentivizes its users to give fair and honest reviews. Tangent, tangent. Absolutely. Uh, what, would tangent. Yelp, what would Yelp say about Biden's handling of the of the pandemic? Um I do want to. I do want to circle back to that too, Andrew. Um, you know, just to make sure we button up the conversation, like as it relates to COVID relief, as it relates to managing the pandemic. Like, are there things that either you're hearing in your life or things that you're feeling from people? Like, when I think about, like, people are still tired, people are still exhausted. They're the same level of exhausted that they were during, like, the Trump administration. It's a different. It's a different type of exhaustion, but it's at the same height. But to me, it's like they're not exhausted because they're not necessarily paying attention to the news every day. The world is a bit more exhausting versus like when Trump was letting the pandemic fail, he was also saying shit. Like when the looting starts, the shooting starts in the street. He was also making election like conspiracy theories. Like, and so I think like there's that level of stuff that's gone, but the rest of this pandemic shit is like still here. So I wasn't sure if there was stuff you're either hearing in your life or just reflections you have on on Biden's management of the pandemic as a whole. I think that resonates with me personally is that feeling of exhaustion is, is everything was at such a high level in the last year of president Trump's presidency. I mean, it felt like a year long panic attack for the entire country. It was just like this, this 
fight or flight feeling nonstop. All that's gone away and it feels like maybe we should just go back to normal or we should just be able to go about our lives, but we can't because we're still dragging on in this thing and it's just this grind now. But the news cycle still isn't that much better. Um, it's still all the same stuff. We're, we're still talking about uh, election fraud because of January 6th investigations. And we're still talking about the pandemic. And I think that's one thing that's never been good in the pandemic with Trump's administration and now Biden's administration is the messaging's all fucked up to the point where there's a lot of confusion still. And stuff is rolling back. And the CDC says, you know, now it's okay to have a little COVID as a treat if you want it. <laughs> and it's just, you know, in the beginning, there was all this confusion and it was a new thing and no one really knew what was going on. And they were saying, don't wear masks because they were afraid that masks were going to run out. And then they were like, wait, 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 no, quick, wear masks, but not the cloth ones because those don't work. And then it was like, well, actually, yes, wear anything. It just put anything over your face. Anything at all. And and now it's like, well, uh, now we're back to like, okay, just wear the N95s because that's what helps. And we're trying to like get masks and tests out to people, but it's still coming late. And like, why is that happening? And it's like, oh, well, we're, we're totally going to give you all tests. And then it's weeks and weeks and weeks and nothing. And it's like, oh, yeah, we're definitely giving you tests, but it's going to be after the Omicron surge. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, again, like we don't know like how much of it is explicitly on the administration for fucking things up or is it just the supply chain and like everything else that's going on in the world? I think we would all do better with just like a slower pace of life. Like we keep trying to like operate at the same level everyone was operating at in 2019, but like we physically can't, but we keep trying to. I think you're right. Like I, I, I think I really like the way that you sum that up too. It's like, like we're jumping like forward into something that like we, cause it's just like, well, you know what? I did my part. I've got to move the fuck on, you know? And it's like, I wasn't saying I moved. I did. I did my part when I was staying at home. I said I was doing my part, you know, and, and staying home to not spread it. Like, but now I hear it just, when I chat with people, it's like, I've, I've done my part. I've done all I can. I think I kind of feel the same way. Like I get that at least like, I don't care if I have to wear a mask, but like, let me go out to eat and sit in a restaurant or whatever. It's like, so now you, it's like this different phase of like staffing shortages. Everybody's getting sick. And it's like the messaging has been all fucking wrong this whole time. It's like, it's like, no, oh, stay home or five days or whatever. Like just come out and say, you know, we're recommending five days because a lot of people are testing negative after five days and we really need people to go back to work because it will be an economic collapse. Like, and I think like, I feel that the five, the 10 days to the five days, the booster, the not booster, like the delaying it for kids versus getting it for kids, the openings with schools, the schools closure. It's like, that is exhausting. That is not a panic attack. That is just like, I can't follow this shit anymore. Like, I just can't follow this shit anymore. I don't know what's true. I don't know what's right. I know I'm vaccinated. I'm boosted. And now I've had COVID. I will not be like isolating from people anymore. You know, it, it's just sort of like where I'm at. And I think that the way I talk to people who are less engaged in politics than us, it's like to, I think what you said at the beginning, it's like, 
yeah, we were talking about January 6th and voting rights. But like, if you were to ask the person on the street, like, what do they care? They're not talking about January 6th. They're mm-hmm. not talking about voting rights. Like, they're, and, and as much as I wish they would, and as much as I hope they would, it's like, they're like, COVID sucks. I want to be able to go on vacation. Inflation is all I'm hearing about. Like, I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about my business having to be closed. I'm worried about unpaid time off because I get exposed to COVID. Like, like those things are so like real to people. And I feel like the Biden administration during the campaign talked so much about their like kitchen table issues, bringing people together to talk about stuff, like kind of going back to normal, crushing the virus. Like it's like expectation setting is sort of way off. And I think part of that's their fault. Part of that's not their fault. Right. It's, it's like the same thing with, with Trump, at least in those very, very early days of COVID, you know, like, like um, not when he was like telling people to put bleach into their uh, veins, but like, you know, when it was just sort of like you're parading around this guy named Dr. Fauci, who none of us had ever heard of before, um, or at least those of us like under the age of 40. And and then like Deborah Burks, you know, was like, you're like, oh, there's nothing at the health lady on TV. It's like what we didn't know what we were consuming or what we were hearing. But now we're like, we all feel like we know a little bit more and we've all been following epidemiologists. So sometimes when I think about that, like 78 percent approval among Democrats, I think a lot of that is people like us who are like, fuck you guys. Like you're not you're to Erica's point. You're not, you know, like feeling existential dread uh, necessarily because of like who you are and what your race is or what your gender identity is or who you like to sleep with. You're certainly like come on guys, you can, you can message better than this. You can, you can reach people better than this. You can be clearer, even though this is challenging, you can be clearer. Um, because the scientists have been very clear. I feel like for a majority of the time and our politicians have been a little bit more messy as it relates to that. That's all I got. (laughs) I like how Andrew tried to like subtly set, like brainwash our listeners, not viewers, even though I do look good all the time. Um, to like go back to farm life, Andrew. We don't want to do that. We're city people. We've progressed. <laughs> Look, get in your covered wagon and go west. Oh my Earth. god. Manifest destiny, baby. I was gonna say it, but then I thought, no, that's fucked up. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about a couple other things, uh, including the infrastructure bill and some of Biden's broken or stalled promises. And after a lovely reflection on this uh, never-ending pandemic, um, we wanted to turn our attention to the bipartisan infrastructure deal. And Andrew is going to lead us through that conversation. Um, I would say um, this is another just sort of huge win um, from the Biden administration that largely uh, many of us have just forgotten about or um, didn't care about. And it just makes me so sad because it was like a really big deal. (laughs) It wasn't what everybody wanted. Um, but, uh, there was part of it that was really a, a big deal. So, uh, rant aside, uh, teeing you up, Andrew, um, hopefully you have a different perspective than I do. So. Oh, probably not. But <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> a couple of months ago, I mean, 
actually not even that long ago back in november it was all the news was talking about is the infrastructure bill and before that it all throughout the summer and the fall it was infrastructure bills and build back better plan and infrastructure week and around and around and it went and it was actually pretty confusing at least to me because we're talking about a couple different bills and different packages of bills and they kept getting haggled over and fought over and whittled down and pieces from the bills were moving around to other bills and eventually we ended up with uh, just the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act which has been called the bipartisan infrastructure bill in the media that's what got passed um, originally Biden had this package of these three different bills, um, the American Rescue Plan, which was for COVID relief, which we've already talked about, that was passed. That was the $1.9 trillion bill. And then there was these other two spending packages, the American Jobs Plan and the American Families Plan. And both together combined totaled roughly about $4 trillion worth of spending. And that was all the infrastructure and social spending and strengthening labor and addressing climate change. And they had different pieces and did different bills. And as they got fought over, stuff got moved around. And the AJP was renamed the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. And the AFP got really like moved around. A lot of different stuff happened to it. I can't keep it all straight. That ended up being called the Build Back Better Act. And that was the one with a lot more of the social spending in it that a lot of fuckboys like Joe Manchin had issues with. And that's what... Not Joe Manchin, the (laughs) fuckboy. I mean, he doesn't want to spend any money on American families. And and that sounds like some fuckboy shit to me. Yeah, pretty much. Can confirm that is, in fact, a (laughs) fuckboy move. (laughs) Leaving me high and dry, but I know I'm still going to come back for another time because we need your vote. (gasps) Oh, my God. (laughs) I need to talk through this with my therapist now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so so Manchin effectively um, single-handedly killed the Build Back Better plan late last year, but um, pieces of that may or may not get passed in the future. It's probably never going to get passed in the form that it was in previously, which was already a couple of different forms removed from the original AFP. But the $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill was passed and that was passed with help from some Republicans. Um, And that has a lot of really good stuff in it. And I don't want to focus too much on things that were left out or removed to the build back better plan and then not passed. But, uh, you know, I think as we've said before, it's not entirely the president's fault or any president's fault for how this stuff happens because it's not just the president it's the president and congress and then also the judicial branch which right now we're just dealing with the president and congress and it has to go through all the hundreds of people in congress to get anywhere and of course stuff is going to change and things are going to be added and things are going to be taken out and people are going to haggle over the price what was 
frustrating was the amount of haggling. It wasn't like, oh, well, you know, here's a $2 trillion bill. Like maybe we could do some of this for 1.8 or like 1.9 or like let's move some stuff around or change how some things are. Or like let's make sure money is spent in the right way. No, it was like, oh no, we have to cut this by 50%. And that's right. ridiculous. And like, what kind of subjective number are you searching for? Like what's right and what's wrong? <laughs> like, And yeah. then is it the number or is it what's in it? Like it, it, we went, we went back and forth multiple times, <laughs> multiple times. And I understand that they have to like, they do have to start high. This whole package of these three different bills, the American rescue plan, the jobs plan and the family plan was roughly $6 trillion in spending, which is, I mean, at that point, it's theoretical. Like, the numbers don't matter. Like, that's just an impossible number to even think about. So, of course, I have to start high and then come back from that to an extent. But, you know, whatever. We ended up with $1.2 trillion in infrastructure spending, and that's going to do a lot of really great things. Um, they're spending in it for removing all lead-based pipes over the next 10 years, which, insane, that there are lead-based pipes still in this country, but that fucking <laughs> you tracks. You don't like a little bit of Ticonderoga number two in your drinks? <laughs> Just, <laughs> this podunk-ass country uh, um, bringing high-speed internet access to 30 million Americans. Again, they're, like it, this is a huge, huge country in terms of just land. Um, there's people that live in very, very, very rural, isolated sections of the country like we all live in very populated areas of the country um, east i'm sorry andrew do you <laughs> there's a lot Listen, of cows down the road i mean <laughs> he has a whole traffic light in his town and this bipartisan infrastructure plan is going to give him two more <laughs> oh my god those <laughs> cows can finally watch cow porn <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. But no, you're right, Andrew, though. Like that, it is, that's a massive fucking investment. And we've talked about the importance of that on this podcast. And and it has to come from the government because the businesses will never do that. Comcast and Verizon are never going to pull fiber out to a rural community in the middle of Wyoming because it doesn't make sense from a business perspective. But things like this, we need to remove from a profit motive. And high-speed internet, is is just a requirement for living in our world for better or worse especially if you're that rural and during a pandemic like having to transition a job to being remote um although people living in those areas probably don't have those types of jobs but their kids probably have to do virtual classes mm -hmm. and how do you do that when you don't have high speed internet or at least do it well other things that are in the bill are repairing tens of thousands of bridges across the US. Again, this is in that lead pipe category. Like the fact that we have bridges literally falling down is insane. And this is of particular interest to those of us who live in Pennsylvania still and didn't abandon our great state 
to move to other states. Fucking rude. (laughs) (laughs) Because there are over 3,000 bridges in Pennsylvania that are slated to get $1.6 billion in funding. So that's just one state, and that's great. And I think that's one way we can help people understand this is you talk about this gigantic number, $1.2 trillion, and it's like, great, how's that going to help me? Well, I this is part of the messaging I think they should do, and I don't think they really are doing, is they should say like, hey, this is how it's going to help you in your state. Like there's plenty of little bridges around here and they are all crumbling. Like you can literally go up to some of these bridges in the town I live in and just like grab chunks of like powdered concrete off of them. (laughs) And that's how bridges are like everywhere in this country. It's insane. Yeah. Repairing roads to reduce death count of from traffic accidents. Another Pennsylvania favorite is just potholes investing in public transportation um, especially in communities of color, plus investments in services like Amtrak. Um, some of the investments are for specifically particular states that face problems like wildfires in uh, Wyoming and the Flint crisis. There's spending for uh, water infrastructure and especially for Flint. So it is, again, good that they're addressing specific problems that are happening in the state's um, and I think that's one way they could have maybe helped people understand this a little bit more. And it's not just, oh, it's more government spending. I'm literally thinking that I need to do a TikTok series, uh, 50 videos about what the infrastructure bill is doing for those specific states. Like, maybe it'll go viral. Maybe it won't. But like, it it's can't more be than that difficult to do. doing. <laughs> exactly. Then that's what I mean. It's like you just see these massive numbers, like $450 billion in stimulus checks. Okay, I know what that means because I'm either going to get a check or I'm not going to get a check, right? That's a little bit more helpful. Even 3,000 bridges in the state of Pennsylvania is more helpful than what I've seen in the Biden administration versus if you were to say, like, I know, and again, this is very difficult to get out from a messaging perspective, but like, I know that the bridge on Germantown Pike out front of my parents' house that always freezes way before the road and there's like a bump before you go on it and then my car feels like it's going to fucking bottom out. I know that's going to get fixed. I will deal with the construction issues and the Mm -hmm. lack of funding because I know where this is coming from versus if you don't do this messaging, you're going to have a bunch of people be like, oh, that fucking road's closed because of whatever. I'm like, (laughs) like, it's like, it has to be really clear, concise, and personalized messaging in an, in a world where people are already inundated with messages. And I, but I think like, to me, I vibe with the infrastructure bill. Like I love the infrastructure bill. Uh, if Columbus, it's part of the proposal will be connected to the Amtrak line. I can literally take the train home from Pennsylvania. And that sounds way better to me than going to the airport lugging my bag, going through security, paying for more expensive drinks than I would be on Amtrak. Like, I'm down. I am so down with this infrastructure bill. And it's a shame that it sort of got overshadowed by the beginning negotiations of poor expectations setting, the Afghanistan debacle, you know, like the, uh, um, then the failures of like build back better and the, the jobs, the families, what is it? What's in it? I don't know. Like, and Biden saw no boost in poll numbers after passing this. And that's so frustrating to me because I feel like 
These are things that people can live and feel. You may not be excited about roads specifically, but if you're excited that your grandma is going to get high speed internet and you know that the Democrats in Congress did that for you, like you might be like, hmm, actually, maybe I will vote for them again because it's something you can see and feel that is impacting your life. I don't know. It's not like the child tax credit, but it's something. I think the big problem is infrastructure is, I mean, it's it's in the word. It's it's integral to just our modern society and everything working, and it doesn't get fixed enough, and we don't maintain it, and we don't upkeep it, and it's falling down around us, all because it's used as this political f- football. We have this stupid infrastructure week thing every year, and that's when people talk about it, and Republicans get into office, and they say they're going to fix all the infrastructure, and then Democrats get into office, and they say they're going to fix all the infrastructure, and it never really happens, and smaller types of bills like this come and go and get whittled down and then not a whole lot happens and there's just not enough money like you're talking about an entire country of 300 over 330 million people and all the roads and trains and water systems and electrical grids and everything else that goes into making all of us be able to survive and live and that's not something you can do with $500 billion or $200 billion, but that's what ends up getting spent. So what people feel is that, oh, it's just wasted money spent because I don't see anything happening outside my house or on my commute to work. Also, like this stuff just takes a really long time. We've passed this bill. It's going to be years before a lot of this stuff gets done or even started, and it is just boring. You're right. Like it's it's just infrastructure. Yeah. A lot of it is stuff we won't see. We're not going to see the electrical grid. We may not really see the effects of that like most of us, um especially in more populated areas. Like mm-hmm. unlike um a child tax credit where you get an immediate effect right now or a tax cut or something like that, like that's what ends up getting passed because there's an immediate effect in it. You can put that on a campaign poster. You know, we're doing ourselves a disservice because now we have to spend over a trillion dollars to fix this shit instead of spending smaller amounts more consistently. Um, but it doesn't get done. It is such a challenge. Yeah. Like, I think it, it amounts to what, like 500 billion in new funding or something like that. It's the stuff that was going to happen. And then it's like, here are all these new investments, which are awesome, but they're going to take 10 years. It's like, what? there could be a Republican in office by that point. Like, and who gets credit for that? You know, <laughs> like it's just, if you're like, Oh, I now have high speed internet. I got that during the Trump administration. You're not going to be like, well, I remember Biden passing. Like, I don't know. You have to be pretty politically in tuned. Right. Why are you manifesting a second Trump? I was just thinking that <laughs> because he only needs 30% of the Republican primary vote to win. And that man just has to clap his saggy ass cheeks and he will get oh. that amount. Okay, well, that was an image that I'll never be able to unsee. But um, I think you both brought up a point that I kind of brought up earlier, where like, the average person isn't correlating legislation to outcome. And so again, it's going to be this thing where 10 years from now, when we have our first black woman president, Paul, um, (laughs) you know, it's going to be... I will drive down the streets in Philly and not worry that I will lose all four of my wheels um, in a pothole. So it's 
it's one of those things where it's not sexy. It doesn't bring in a headline. And it's also not very every day, which, you know, COVID, it is every day. It is ever present. It is our lives. Um, And so, you know, unfortunately, the average American is just not tuning into these things. And I think that if you were to ask someone, what's the difference between, you know, all these different versions of these infrastructure bills that we've discussed, to them, it's just the one infrastructure bill, and that is it. That's it. Yeah. And I know they have polling to validate that, but literally the three of us as human beings and the people that listen to this podcast know that logically, like in our minds. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like, of course not, you know, but God, I wish I could debate you guys on the sexiness of like a newly paved road because like, oh, it kind of gets me going. Bitch. First oh. of all, <laughs> when your car is just smooth sailing uh, and you got some Marvin Gaye going, ooh, child, like we're about to put all these sex toy companies out of business. <laughs> Don't invest in sex toys, invest in roads and bridges. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. All right. Well, we're going to take one more break. And then when we come back, we will talk about some of the legislation that has stalled. All right. For the third segment of this episode, we're going to talk about some of the legislation that has stalled. Um, I will say there is a lot of it. (laughs) Um, And there's a lot of it that the House has made progress on, but the Senate hasn't been able to do. And we know that's because of the tight majorities there. Um, I would say um, from like a promises kept situation, um, the immigration package or immigration reform, um, that's where we have really the longest way um, to go, in in my opinion, um, because this issue is not only an issue that we know Republicans are already capitalizing on for the midterms, it's also a massive humanitarian crisis. Um, The the first one, um, we still have for-profit detention centers. Uh, That was a promise that Biden made that uh, he would end those. That has not happened. I understand that's because he probably feels politically vulnerable right now in the immigration area, but that doesn't make me feel any better um, about humanity. Um, He has not doubled the number of immigration justices or their staff yet, which he said he was going to do because it was going to expedite cases. Um, And Republicans are continuing their attacks on the open borders, and there's no new pathway to citizenship. You have people like Lauren Boebert. You have people like Marjorie Taylor Greene. um, You've got people like Madison Cawthorn, like these people who don't even live in border states going down to the border to rally up their supporters and get donations from people. That's a situation, in my opinion, that really needs to be addressed and needs to be addressed urgently, even though I understand that any time they do a little thing that they want to do on the border, Ted Cruz goes down in his fucking dictator outfit. What was it? Like the Hugo Chavez, like fucking military gear. And he's like in a boat going down the river. Like, what are you doing, Ted Cruz? Like you're you're what finding the quote unquote illegals and capturing them. I don't know. Immigration frustrates me so much because I just don't believe that borders should like exist. Um, But I also like, I understand it's a very real issue and I'm completely in the minority on that opinion. So there needs to be steps taken from just a humanitarian crisis, but also like it would be great to say that we passed immigration reform for the first time in forever, even though we know Republicans are just going to spin it as 
they're letting everyone in free. You know, it's like just we know we know that's their play because that has been their play for ever forever so um meanwhile we have kamala harris yelling do not come like it's just like i I, like it frustrates me to no end um justice reform uh i think we all know the george floyd justice and policing act uh appears to be non-existent um there was a uh bipartisan police reform framework situation uh, that ended up completely failing, um, and the talks just stopped. And there's a lot of other things too: cash bail, mandatory minimums, decriminalizing marijuana. Lots of things that are big issues for a lot of people, where no real progress has been made. Again, not saying it's Joe Biden directly responsible for it, but it's certainly the tightness of Congress right now. Um, Erica, was there anything you wanted to add on on the justice reform conversation? I know we've talked about that a lot on this podcast before. Yeah, there is actually, and the reason why I really wanted to bring it up is because there is a um, kind of interview that came out today, and it was released by Harvard Law today. Um, and they interview, her name is, and I apologize if I mispronounce, um, but Pramal Daria, and she is the executive director of Harvard Law School's Institute to End Mass Incarceration. Um, so off the bat, she is someone who clearly has the um, experience and knowledge. And I think one thing, a point that she hit on, um, and I'm going to quote it directly as to not mince any words, but um, she says, the biggest thing I believe our democratic leadership has gotten wrong is not engaging with where the American people are right now. Um, And one of the things she brings up is that in 2020, or in 2020, um, there was a, nationwide, almost worldwide call out for change in our policing system um, and our criminal justice system. And by and large, we just haven't seen the movement that we have been looking for. Um, he has, as of today, he has yet, as of today being 118, um, 2022, he has yet to issue a single grant of clemency much less uh, move forward with essentially creating an independent clemency board, uh, which is something that had support from uh, very significant individuals um, throughout criminal justice as a profession. So I think that, you know, unfortunately, he has people who have the knowledge and expertise and insight Um you know, the American people have spoken loud and clear, but we just haven't seen that change in the infrastructure of our justice system. Um, I think, you know, as both an African-American and someone who has people in their life who have been failed by the criminal justice system, um, it's incredibly frustrating. And it, it feels like I think a lot of people felt, you know, maybe this was the administration that was going to listen. And, you know, I think we all had to do a lot of looking past um, Vice President Harris's previous history and track record when it came to criminal justice. Biden's too. And Biden's too, very famously so. And, you know, I think it was something that this administration during the campaign tried to scrub themselves from. And it, I wouldn't say it worked because, again, this was a matter of never Trump for a lot of people. 
Um, And unfortunately, I think that they showed that they haven't grown. And that's not to say that they haven't grown. I think that they have. And I, you know, Biden has changed a lot of his discourse from the past. But at the end of the day, you know, even if they've grown as people, they have not grown as politicians in the sense that they're not, their heart isn't in in it. And obviously there's roadblocks, but you can't even justify, like you can't even blame it on that anymore. Um, And so, you know, it, (laughs) it sucks. And I hope for change in the next coming years, but I'll be honest, if I, if it's another three years of the same old, same old around criminal justice, um, they're really fighting an uphill battle. I say that as the literal seventh police car has crossed out, has gone down my block <laughs> since we started recording at like 845. Yeah, I, I thank you for sharing that and adding some context, you know, to to just the the failed promises. It's also just that emotional reality for so many people. I know a lot of people have shared things online and, and you know, American support for Black Lives Matter has returned to pre-protest levels. And I'm sure there's an element of truth for that. For that. I'm sure there's an element that the the protests and, and, and riots that, that, you know, played in that too. But I do think that there are a lot of continuously well-intentioned people who have learned something in the last, you know, two years about police, police behavior and the impact of police on black communities. I think those people though, just as they got so easily encouraged, also got easily discouraged. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and that's sad, but it's, it's also a reality that if you can't capitalize on something with policy very quickly, that's going to happen. Um, it makes me sad for all the things that we've shared on this podcast. Um, Erica, you in particular. Um, but it's also like, all right, you're putting the nail in the coffin if you don't do anything on this issue, right? Like, like if you ever want an opportunity to, you know, sure up your support among black and brown voters, I think this is a huge opportunity to do it. Um, also, I think with a lot of college educated voter and uh, voters and people who are very online, I think this is an opportunity to do it. And, and if you don't do it, you're <laughs> like you're shooting yourself in the foot um, and you're getting a lot of other people the same fate. So I think we talked about voting rights enough <laughs> on this podcast. I think we have exhausted that one. I think everybody knows where we stand on that. Uh, progress uh, zero. Uh, a lot of cock teasing there. <laughs> but uh, for the most part, we've gotten pretty much nothing there. Um, Roe versus Wade has not been codified and the risk has never been higher. Um, there's been no forgiveness of any student loan debt, um, although things have been delayed due to some protests, um, but also haven't increased the minimum wage to $15 an hour so people could even begin to think about paying back their loans. So, Andrew, as someone who gets paid in uh, Amish shickles, do you have anything that you would like to add around uh, the minimum wage conversation? I get paid by the barter system with sacks of potatoes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I think for all of these these things, immigration, justice reform, and voting rights, I see on the right a lot of very loud attacking of Biden for all of these things, and I think that they're right, but they don't mean to be right. 
They mean to just attack him. But they're right about a lot of these things. Um, you know, when they scream things like, who built the cages, Joe? Yeah, that was that was something from the Obama administration, which he was a part of and has continued. And I think the way to fix a lot of this immigration issue is to make the path into this country easier and make the path to citizenship easier and cheaper and same with justice reform. I mean, a lot of our problems in this country right now stem from that 1994 crime bill that not only did Biden champion that and pass it, but he wrote the damn bill and, you know, voting rights too. And, you know, I think a lot of it might be he doesn't want to come out and really go in on a lot of these issues in the way he should, because that would require him to have that self-reflectance and say, I got this wrong 20 or 30 years ago, or even 10 years ago. And I feel bad about that. And I messed up and here's how I'm going to fix it. And it's an unfortunate fact of our political system is that people stay in it for decades and decades. And Biden is a prime example of that and they don't really get held to task for these things that much as they change and some of them do change and update their opinions and that's great but they really can't say that in public really they can't really ever come out and say i was wrong about something because they can never be wrong or maybe they feel like they can never be wrong and i so i think there is legitimate things to criticize him about that like the right talks about but obviously they're doing it for the wrong reasons but we don't really do that enough on the liberal or the left side of the political spectrum for our own leaders um and again it goes back to what we talked about in the beginning nuance you can't just say like i mean he's our president now like what are you gonna do like yes he he's there is that dichotomy there like he's trying to do some justice reform he's talked about it but also um, Kamala Harris was a prosecutor and Joe Biden passed that crime bill among other types of bills and for years was against legalizing marijuana um, and all these other things. And, and how do you reconcile those two things? Well, we're in the shit now. Like, let's just admit it and then have an adult conversation about what we can do to move beyond it with what we have. Completely agree. Um, Pretty sure Hillary Clinton apologized for the crime bill because it was Bill yeah. Clinton and Joe Biden who passed it. Like, I'm pretty sure she said we got it wrong. Like, I'm pretty, like, 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 what? Why did why did she have to say anything about it? Like, f- fuck me if that's fake news, but I'm like pretty sure <laughs> that she had to own up to that. <laughs> I think what's wild is like Joe Biden literally fucked the devil and created Damien or whatever Rosemary's baby's name is. And now that it's wreaking havoc, he's just like, and it's, it's, it's so ridiculous because again, these are two politicians where it's not like, oh, you know, they were related to this person who did this, or they were just a signature. Like, no, they put their names behind these things. And, you know, as dumb as I think most of this country is, to be quite honest, they're not blind. And it's one of those things where it's it's obvious and it's clear and it's like, here is the pathway. And I think the issue that we keep running into, I think in politics in general, is people, instead of 
building a pathway where there is none. They just say, forget this journey. I'm done trying to take this hike. I can't figure out where the trail is. So I'm going to stop trying where, but they're sitting there with everything they need to build the pathway. And I think it is, you know, obviously the political process is difficult in this country. And if it were up to me, a select few of elites, myself, um, will rise to power and get this shit handled. But apparently dictatorships are not welcome in this country, which I find ridiculous. I think they're efficient. Um, and that, so it's... <laughs> that That's going to be quoted in an attack ad in 20 years. I hope that I do run for office and everyone's going to be like, oh, she said she's here for dictatorship. And they're going to be like, no, that was a joke. And it won't be a joke, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> But that's to say, like, people don't understand the political process. I'll be honest. I think there are politicians, cough, cough, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who also don't understand the political process. <laughs> that's kind of how January 6th happened. Um, and so oh we can't do this thing where we just say, well, you know, there's so many things that have to happen for this, for us to get to this. It has to be well, this is what we're going to do marching forward. And I think that that is something that we would all like to see out of the Biden administration is, you know, we understand that here's the barrier, but here's the next plan. You have the resources. It is not solving. We are not solving the Rosetta Stone. We are simply trying to find a better pathway for this country's future. And we have other countries as examples. We have previous legislation as examples. And it's it's ridiculous and it's frustrating. And as much as I want to say, you know, it's the political process. It's this, it's that. It's partisan fighting or infighting. At the end of the day, something has to get done. Because we've been saying the same thing since we became a two-party system. And... If this country wants to continue on as the quote unquote greatest country on the on the earth, then they have to start acting like one and take some initiative and get things going. Agreed. And that's why some of the younger Congress people are just so impressive. They come mm -hmm. across as so much more transparent. Um, that's an episode for another time. Final thought uh, before we head to pack it up. Scale of one to five. Andrew, what do you give the first year of the Biden administration? Five being the best. I'm going to give it a two and a half. I think we've gotten we've gotten some good stuff done for sure, and there's some stuff that has not gotten done, and there have been some missteps, some some worse, some not as bad, but still missteps along the way. And I think it's about what I expected. I <laughs> after all of what that we've said today, I think everyone can tell like no one on this podcast right now wanted to vote for Joe Biden and wanted him as a candidate. I think I threw up in my mouth a little bit when it was announced he was running at all. Yeah, I would agree. Um Erica, scale of one to five, where are you at? Um uh I give that crusty bitch a two, could to be quite honest. <laughs> And oh. I give him a two because, again, it's it's like one of those things where, like, if someone offers to do something that you didn't ask them to fucking do and they don't do it, now you're mad at something that you wouldn't have been mad about before. Um, and I think, you know, the Biden administration did a lot of that. And, of course, there are certainly some wins. But um, I think that 
to say thank you for this win and then move on is, um, I think it's a disservice to people who are more affected by certain policies. Um, so I am going to hold Joe Biden 20 times as accountable as I did Donald Trump, because Donald Trump, to be fair, was an overweight Mandarin orange of a human being. So I'm going to say mm, both of your arguments are convincing. I was going to go 3.5 um, because I am so into those roads and bridges. I what a shill. I have been so grateful for the um, COVID relief and the vaccinations, although it has not been to the speed at which I would have liked. I will bring it down to a three um, because I just think expectations management has really been a problem with this particular administration. Um, Trump, it was just the hope that he would never get anything done and the fear this, I feel, you know, we gritted our teeth. We, you know, like, we're really like, we can do this. We can vote for you. Like, we believe in you. Your His cabinet is amazing. It's full of really talented people. Um, and that's why I don't think that all the blame falls on him. But the mansion and cinema situation, I'll give him an extra point for, you know, but the overall messaging and lack of expectations uh, or, or wrong expectations, unreasonable ones. I, I bump it down to a three. So I'm more optimistic than you guys, uh, more or more satisfied than you guys, but not by much. All right, when we come back, pack it up. Welcome back. This is our final segment of the episode. Uh, this is Pack It Up, where we highlight a person, an organization, or something in pop culture that needs to pap it down. Pap, pap it down. What are we, pap smearing? Uh, pipe it down. Pack it up. And <laughs> as Erica's recording this, I cannot. I cannot. Uh, leave it in. Leave it in. Leave it in. What I'm going to say is pack it up to the absent co-host Kirk Wilson. And <laughs> it's not that I don't respect that he has other plans. I'm absolutely fine with that. I'm saying pack it up to him because I want to know if he makes it this far in the episode. So this is just a test. Nobody tell him, nobody DM him. We are just going to see if he actually listens to an hour of content to the three of us talking when he cannot hear the sound of his own voice and see if he texts us some hateful <laughs> ass message. So pack it up, Kirk. Um, hope you had fun tonight. <laughs> Andrew, who are you packing up? <laughs> I am packing up all of the important people in the Republican Party who refuse to disavow Trump as the president. But specifically, Laura motherfucking Ingraham, who said Ingraham. just the other day, she's not saying if she'd support Trump in 2024, but she's not not saying that either. She said, I'm not saying I'm there for him yet, but I think w whether he runs or not, I mean, his policies worked. Trump's blueprint for policy, a forward-looking, optimistic set of pro-American policies, that blueprint, without a doubt is winning. And I think so many people in Republican Party leadership and in right-wing media, 
they're all thinking this way right now. No one really wants to come out and say at this particular moment that they're 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 in on Trump and they would vote for him. I mean, some do, but but a lot of them don't because all the January 6th shit went down and now there's all of the investigation about that and even his own supporters are not sure what to do with him right now because he's said that the vaccines are have worked and that they were good <laughs> and this is the time. This is the moment, if there ever was one, where everyone can say, fuck off, we're done with you. We're moving in a different direction. We can start rebuilding our party as an actual like conservative Republican party. And it's no longer the party of Trump, but they just can't fucking let it go. He's out of the party. He's out of politics. You owe him nothing. He can't do anything to you. If you all just say we're done with him, he has no power and you just, just let him go. And you'll take a lot of Democrats with you and a lot of independents. Mm-hmm. And right now, Joe Biden is so unpopular. Now is literally the time to do it. <laughs> like, this will only make you more popular. Trash him. Please, please. Yeah. And I feel safe saying that because no Republican listens to this podcast. Oh, baby. They certainly don't get this far. <laughs> <laughs> As evidenced by my packet up being Kirk, he is also a Republican. Um, it's true. <laughs> uh, Erica, uh, who or what are you packing up this week? I, Erica Megan Alice, am going to pack up a group of elite that have absolutely wrecked havoc on this nation, on this planet. And that is Instagram influencers. <laughs> Hell yes. <laughs> oh my God. I am just so sick of the amount of effort that they are putting in to push their content and just get like any sort of relevancy. And I am not going to call out this particular influencer by name because uh, he's then- on this podcast. <laughs> it's certainly not Kirk. She has like six followers. Um, but it is someone who is a an acquaintance of a friend, but sometimes it's it's known you would know. It's a Cali girl. Um, but sometimes they do this thing where they just fuck off this planet and just like orbit into whatever influencer vapid universe they belong in. And they say and post things that are so clearly to just get a part of a moment that they're, and they're using these hashtags or locations that are like oppressing real and true information. And I saw a lot of it on MLK day and obviously You know, there's the white people's Martin Luther King who, you know, was peacefully shot by a angry white man who may or may not be an agent of the government. Um, And then there's the real MLK who was a flawed person, who was a socialist um, and who was not afraid to actually go out and make relevant change. And I've seen a lot of influencers, particularly white influencers, who are kind of co-opting his legacy in a way that not, not honestly, if it fit their ideals, 
you know, if they were cherry picking to fit whatever ideals they had, I would be like, whatever, you suck. They're literally doing it to work along with whatever content they're giving. And it'll be like, oh, yes, I, I too believe that our children should play together regardless of color because Carrie Leanne needs black friends or some dumb shit like that. And it is just so pervasive. It's so frustrating. And then they have the audacity. Instagram has the audacity to recommend some of these pages. To be fair, I hate, like, look at their pages. Oh, I will never give them a follow. I will never give them a number. But they are also now a part of my algorithm. And so side pack it up to Instagram for trying to make me a white Midwestern mommy blogger, but a extra big fuck you to influencers who are more focused on whatever agenda or goals they have than the actual integrity of what they're posting. So I guess I shouldn't close with that Martin Luther King Jr. quote. <laughs> well, that was therapeutic. Um, on that note, Erica, I think that maybe another great episode for us would be just to unpack what the algorithm is recommending to us. Because um, How about the algorithm literally trying to radicalize Andrew? <laughs> like That's actively happening. And he's on a liberal cuck podcast. <laughs> I, I deactivated my Instagram this month because I got so fucking tired of seeing... Benny Johnson's stupid face. Oh my God. Um, I think that would be a fun next episode. Well, I hope that y'all enjoy this one. I know we did because Kirk wasn't here, but this has been another episode of Let's Unpack That. Thank you all so much for listening. If you like this episode, please don't hesitate to rate, comment, subscribe, download, whatever it is, send to a friend, send to your aunt, send to your you know elementary school teacher, sub or whatever. But uh, we love having you here. Um, thank you all so much for your opinion um, and sharing your thoughts on the episodes with us. Um, if you have a suggestion on how to make it better, please get in touch with us. You can email us at let's unpack that pod at gmail.com or just email me at it's paul warren at gmail.com so thank you all so much for listening we will talk to you again next week 